Since 1957, the Germanic-American Institute has been building cultural bridges between the American Midwest and German-speaking European countries. And this is our podcast. We cordially invite you on the inside to join us as we share insights into German grammar, the German cultural experience. We'll look at current topics and we will let you know all about the events that we are involved in and you can participate in. At times, we will also invite guests on the show who will share their knowledge and experiences with us and will answer any questions you may have about our content or the GAI itself. Willkommen to the Germanic American Institute podcast. And this is it. We call it episode zero, the long-awaited start of the GAI podcast. Smiles in the room. I'm not alone. This is Michael, by the way. We have two of our leading ladies in the room as well. Just looking over to my left, which of course you can't see, but I'm just pointing over to Claudia. Claudia, if you just want to give us a quick impression and story of who you are, what you're doing here, how did you end up behind the microphone? Uh, guten Tag, ich bin Claudia. I'm Claudia. I'm the Director of Language Services here. And if you've taken a class here learning German, you've probably crossed my path. And I've been here for two and a half years now and loving every minute of it. My name is Katrin. I have been here for the past 14 years, started out as a language teacher, then did some catering for 14 years in between, and also some teaching. I also do the Goethe exams um, for the Goethe, Goethe Institute in Chicago. And here we are. My name, by the way, is again Michael. I am one of the teachers here, former broadcaster and tapping into the power of podcasting, which is essentially how you gets to us right now whether that's at work or in the car little plug for us if you like to uh, subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app give us a rating and a short little review if you do have any questions regarding the podcast or anything that we talk about please just email them in and we will make sure we answer your question in the next episode so the question is what does this actually look like uh, what is the format of the gai podcast generally we had the idea of going in threes with three little things that are of interest grammar which is Gra Catherine's grammar thing. and language grammar and language then um, what else do we have culture and current events culture and current events and then we have things that perhaps just fall into our lap that are of interest and need to be discussed whether that's american german things or german american things let's take it from the top and start off with a little bit of grammar <music> Today we are looking at a little bit of literature. If you're looking for a light read while improving and practicing your German, look no further than to Commissario Brunetti, policeman extraordinaire in Venice, Italy. Arthur Danalian was born in New Jersey, but after traveling the world and teaching English at several international locations, she actually settled in Venice and has been writing book after book about the depths of human morality or the lack thereof. Commissario Brunetti is married to Paola, an English professor, has two children, and generally loves his profession. His boss is an obstacle to be circumvented, and the genius department secretary, Signorina Elettra, does her best to keep him out of Brunetti's way. Greed, pride, jealousy, heartbreak, xenophobia, no book in the series is like the other, and justice isn't always served. Venice presents a backdrop unlike any other. Leon richly paints a picture of Venetian culture and the idiosyncrasies of the people that live there. 
not in an idyllic kind of writing, but including the beautiful as well as the ugly. The following excerpt was taken from Aqua Alta, Commissario Brunetti's fifth case, and describes the atmosphere in the city before flooding. Beim Verlassen des Krankenhauses bemerkte Brunetti, dass der Himmel sich verdunkelt hatte und ein scharfer Wind aufgekommen war, der von Süden her über die Stadt fegte. Die Luft war schwer und feucht, Regenluft, und das hieß, dass sie nachts wahrscheinlich von schrillem Sirenengeheul geweckt würden. Er hasste Aqualta, so abgrundtief wie jeder Venezianer, und war schon im Voraus wütend auf die glotzenden Touristen, die sich auf den Holzstegen drängen würden, kichern, gestikulierend, fotografierend und anständigen Leuten im Weg, die nur zur Arbeit oder zum Einkaufen gingen, um irgendwo wieder ins Trockene zu kommen und den Ärger, das Chaos und die ständigen Scherereien hinter sich zu lassen, die das unaufhaltsame Wasser der Stadt brachte. Brunetti rechnete sich bereits aus, dass es ihn nur auf dem Weg von und zur Arbeit berühren würde, wenn er am Fuß der Rialto-Brücke über den Campus San Bartolomeo musste. Glücklicherweise lag die Gegend um die Questura so hoch, dass sie nur bei allerschlimmster Flut überschwemmt wurde. You can find eight of the books in German in the GAI library. They are starting at about a B2 level. A good B1 would also be sufficient to read these. Translations are available in many languages except for Italian in order to ensure a quiet life for um, Donna Leon in Venice. She has, however, at 76 years old, moved to a small Swiss village but continues to write. Her 29th Brunetti novel is coming out in spring of 2019. In addition, she has written a cookbook with recipes from her books in cooperation with her friend Roberta Pianaro. We have those books on hand. We do. We have um, several of them in the GAI library. And people can check them out, or do they have to just swing in here with a cup of coffee and read them here, or what does that look like? Well, that's always, of course, a good option. However, if you remember, you can um, borrow books from the GAI library, generally for a duration of two weeks, and two weeks should be plenty of time to make it through a book of this size. Read fast. Sort of. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So today was a little bit of a literature review, if you will. And certainly the offer stands that you can check out one of those books if you are so inclined. For the next episode, we may have a little more grammar eventually or another literature review. Or if actually you have any questions that you would like us to answer, whether that's literature and or grammar, just bring them our way and we make sure that we throw them in next time. And off into a little bit of culture. One of the things that actually, uh, even I as Austrian, have not really known is the significance of the Oktoberfest, which essentially happens in September. So somewhere along the way, German accuracy has fallen off the rails. The question is, why is that? And I think Claudia has the answer. Yes, actually, I do have some fun facts and information about the most German of all festivals, the annual Oktoberfest, which is not actually a beer festival, but the anniversary celebration of the wedding between Bavarian Crown Prince Ludwig and his wife, Princess Therese of Saxony Hildenburghausen, or no, Hildburghausen. When the lovebirds hitched in 1810, the royals commemorated the event with a public party where not a single drop of beer was offered. 
It wasn't until nine years later that the horse races were replaced by beer vendors. Despite their initial prudence, you'll still find doting monarchists today, today raising a stein in honor of the old lord and lady who made it all possible. A German fest without beer in the first nine years, what went wrong? So something obviously did not exactly line up here. Correct. What's in a name? It seems that this legendary autumn event doesn't actually start in October. Over the years, there's been a shift to an earlier, hopefully sunnier, mid-September start, with the whole festival starting this year on September 22nd and finishing on October 7th. Okay, so still somewhat of an Oktoberfest, but correct. not a pure or clean Oktoberfest, but reminiscent of. Correct, Got correct. It. Now, obviously, the whole thing about not drinking any beer during the uh, first initial festival, first years of the festival, has now given way to uh, a lot of beer drinking, which is now served in 13 huge drinking tents and made by just six Munich-based breweries. These special brews are unique to the event and calling them anything less than their given namesake could see you in trouble with the devoted local patrons. So Oktoberfest beer is brewed specifically by six Munich breweries for Oktoberfest and not everybody or anybody else is allowed to serve the beer at the festival. We actually had one of them here for this year's Oktoberfest uh, that the GEI put up. Correct. And these beers are actually rather strong at a 6% alcohol. And uh, this year it's estimated that 6.4 million liters of beer will be sold at the Oktoberfest. So that's roughly, what, 2.5 million gallons, give or take? Something like uh, that. Yeah, some, something yep. in the name of it. Yep. Katrin, can you do the math? <laughs> yes. uh, barely, but I'll do my best here. Yeah, it's, it's millions of gallons in any way. So. Yep, it's millions of gallons. And another interesting bit about the uh, drinking is that nobody's allowed to drink beer or have a beer until the mayor of Munich officially opens the festivals by uh, tapping the first keg and yelling out to the crowd, is, which means the keg is tapped. And just a little bit of beer history to uh, to finish it up. The reason why Oktoberfest has become such an important and popular festival is due to necessity. Southern Bavaria was once notorious for its awful fresh water supply. So to avoid cholera, the plague, and other s such nasty ailments, locals would wet their whistles with the safer, arguably tastier alternative of beer. So... Not only is it healthy for you, it also you know, supports the whole economy during the month of September and October in Munich. And it makes you whistle better. There you go. <laughs> okay, quick little switch from a rather traditional happening that takes place every year to uh, going into the subculture of Germany taking place in the 1980s. There is actually a movie that's being played. It's called Geniale Dilettanten, which is essentially a misspelling of a title of a concert that took place on September 14th, 1981 in the Berlin venue of Tempodrome. The title has come to stand for a brief era of artistic renewal in West and East Germany in the mid-1980s, which was a period when people in all arts explored new paths and innovative forms of self-expression. Rather than persisting with the cause for world revolution, energies were channeled into one and achieving alternative ways, alternative ways of lifestyle has become the atomic doomsday and anti-consumerism 
and a little bit of anti-US, we also have to admit to that, and protests as well as militant squatting, feminism and homosexuality, drugs, punk and new wave were strong in the era of the 1980s. And Günther, just to yeah. mention, it's actually an exhibit. It's an exhibit, that, not that's a movie. It's an exhibit and we okay. will have an exhibit and a movie. Exhibit and a movie, so doubling down. So the exhibit is uh, opening on November 2nd at the Schmidt Artist Love Tunnel Gallery. It's a Goethe Institute traveling exhibition of film, art, design, fashion and music. And it samples seven experimental German bands. From the Geniale Dilettanten So that goes back era. to the 80s. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then the film that you just mentioned is Kino Kneipe, which stands as much as... Um, movie dive bar something like that something yeah. like that mm -hmm. yeah um that's a b movie lust on sound in west berlin november 9th the doors open at six and the movie starts at six thirty. so load up on popcorn and join us on november 9th right and the topic of the movie ties in with the geniale dilettanten theme of uh what was going on in Berlin, West Berlin, during the 80s with the, with the music scene. Does either one of you have experience with that era in Berlin or in Germany at all? In Germany, yeah. In I Germany, did. but yeah. not in Berlin. Yeah. Did that make it actually outside of the walls mm -hmm. of Berlin as well mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. sort of took over Germany? What mm -hmm. was, what actually, was it like? Eventually, it developed into the Neue Deutsche Welle, the music that uh, then, you know, in the mid-80s really kind of swept. Germany and the rest of the world and uh, some of the bands actually one of the bands that was part of the Geniale Dilettanten concert Einstutzende Neubauten actually have a star and first avenue in uh, Minneapolis so wow. they made it out and beyond just the scene and the music in in Berlin so it's more than just Nina it's more than just Nina, yes. Nina was kind of the cleaned up version of it. This was more a lot more experimental type music and a mixture of art and music and unusual instruments and unusual ways to express yourself. So definitely something that is uh, not common in the U.S. and probably also not as common in Germany anymore. Um, I don't know, but at the time, you know, in the 80s, Berlin was still a separated city and there was a lot of... Uh, talk in in both sides east and west as the you know as the communist bloc started to ha show its cracks in west germany continuing to be uh, to to be aware of the ongoing arms race and the back and forth between the two superpowers at the time the usa and the ussr and germany was caught right in the middle of it and berlin was really just uh a cauldron of activity and and art and music and that's a, this was a way to express all of that so the message in itself was then essentially to have some form of self-fulfillment and self-expression mm -hmm. as opposed to falling victim more or less to either one of those predominant forces left or right correct and find new ways of expression right because the, the existing structures didn't work for some of the artists so they wanted to break out of the existing structures and contrary to popular belief david hasselhoff did not play a big role also germans <laughs> do not love david hasselhoff um, yes he had this one song was known for his night rider show and baywatch of course but yeah. there's not a glorification of David Hasselhoff in Germany at all. Yeah, right. Around the Berlin Wall or anything. Mm -hmm. No. 
And it wasn't just in Germany that this whole movement um, happened. Uh, in, in London, especially, the punk scene started happening, mm -hmm. and that was all kind of the same expression of, of, you know, breaking out of the norms, finding new ways to express yourself through music and art or the blending of music and art in unconventional ways. So in, in, a, in a sense, this is really actually cultural heritage. Cultural heritage and, and also how... These movements and these these ways to express yourself really in, kind of shaped the rest of of art and music and culture going going forward. If we're looking at German music today, the younger bands definitely came out of that movement. Yep. They ebnet um, den Weg. Yeah, they paved the way. Yeah, they paved yeah. the way for these bands that such as Revolver held or. Yep. Oh yeah, right. <coughs> And next okay. time any anybody hears Nina's 99 red balloons or 99 Luftballon, actually listen to listen to the lyrics. It's a very very strong anti-war song. It talks about you know people pushing the button and blowing up the world and scrambling jet fighters after balloons flying in the sky. I mean it's not just a happy groove dance song. It it has a really really strong message. I actually don't remember the lyrics. So. Yeah. But yeah, it's certainly something to listen to again. Maybe we should just pipe it into this recording if we get away with it copyright-wise. Yeah. So just to rem uh, just to repeat, the yeah. exhibition or the exhibit is going to open at uh, the Schmidt Artist Loft Tunnel Gallery on November second and run through November eighteenth. And uh, on November 9th, we're going to show the accompanying film, B Movie Lust und I forgot. Lust und Sound in West Berlin. <laughs> Lust und Sound in West Berlin. That will be shown on November 9th here at uh, at the GAI. So make it a twofer. Go to the uh, uh, Geniale Dilettanten exhibit, which, by the way, is free. And then come here for for movies and popcorn and a couple of drinks. And that takes place in the Ratskeller. That's our basement here at the GAI on Summit. Actually, we're moving it we're upstairs moving to the ballroom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So more rooms, more elbow room, more or less. Uh, mm -hmm. Tickets are 12 bucks, by the way, and they include two beverages, so that makes it actually a steal, and no pre-registration is required. Do we have anything else that you have? Last yes. but not least, I want to talk about the Wunderbar Together Deutschlandjahr Initiative, which is a year-long initiative that is sponsored by the um, German Federal Foreign Office, implemented by the Goethe Institute and is supported by the Federation of German Industries. So this theme is Wunderbar Together. For decades, this claim would have needed no further explanation since it was an accurate description of the German-American friendship. After all, since the end of World War II, the transatlantic partnership has brought Germany an unprecedented period of peace, freedom, and security. To this day, Washington is our closest foreign policy partner outside the European Union. For many of us, the U.S. is also a place of personal hope and aspiration. On the other hand, there is a sense that it is no longer a given that Germans and Americans are wunderbar together. 
it is at, as if the Atlantic has widened, politically speaking, speaking. We can feel that the U.S. and Europe are drifting apart. The nearly complete overlap of our values and interests that defined the transatlantic relationship for more than two generations is waning. The causes for this historic shift are multifaceted and the responsibility for it can be found on both sides of the Atlantic. Therefore, it is high time to reassess our partnership in a rational, critical, and self-critical manner. We have to readjust it, not to leave it behind, but to renew and preserve it. We do not want to do this separately, each on our own, but together. This is why, for the first time, we will carry out a Deutschlandjahr in the U.S. Our aim is to create the opportunity for developing a new shared perspective on transatlantic issues in critical and self-critical, honest and creative ways. And we want to provide opportunities for people to experience how close we actually still are. We want to have new conversations with Americans about the nature of our relations and what we could make of them, not only in New York, Washington, and L.A., but also in other parts of the country where the coasts are far away and Europe is even farther. If we could achieve this, then we would indeed be wunderbar together. In cooperation with over 200 partners, we will showcase how closely our countries are linked through deep historical ties shared values, and bold visions for the future. We will explore our partnerships in all areas of society, ranging from business and industry to politics, education, culture, science, civil society, and sports and lifestyle. We believe in German-American friendship. Our countries are united through deep historical ties, shared values, and bold visions for the future. Join us for a year-long festival celebrating our transatlantic partnership through dialogue, experience, and exchange. That, that seems, I mean, obviously it's a huge project. Mm -hmm. uh, what can be done, so to speak, grassrootsy uh, of so, by each individual? So the GEIs are already participating in this, Wunderbar Together. Actually, the exhibit that we just talked about mm -hmm. is part of it. So there are many, many, many activities and exhibits and programs and concerts and all sorts of things happening throughout the year. It started uh, just a couple of days ago, October 3rd, and will run for the next consecutive 12 months. And if people are interested, the website is very easy, wunderbartogether.org. So check out wunderbartogether.org and you will find a lot of information and kind of keep your eyes and ears open for updates from us because the GEI is actively participating and scheduling programs and events as part of this uh, Deutschlandjahr. All right. Well, if we have nothing else to go with for today, then we'll just slowly but surely wrap this up. So it's episode zero, the first one of hopefully many more to come. Again, if you do have any questions for us, anything that you want to know about in particular, whether that's about today's episode or anything in the future, whether that's grammatically or culturally, just bring it to our attention. Do we have an email address actually where people can email to yet or do we need to still? We can uh, ask them to send it to uh, language at gai-mn.org. That's language at gai-mn.org. Perfect. So we are really just one email away from answering your question. So if you have one, please bring it to our attention. Otherwise, we'll plan on doing this at least once a month, uh, see how we pick up steam. 
and what the acceptance rate is. So it really depends on you to subscribe, uh, rate, give us a little feedback and keep us afloat with your questions. That's it for today. We'll see you soon. Tschüss, ade und auf Wiedersehen. Tschüss. Bis nächstes Mal. Ciao.